welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehip.com. And this is the last show we're recording in 2016, but we will be back because it's more important than ever that we have these conversations, that we introduce people to each other, that we get some ideas about things we can do one-on-one out in the world and sometimes bigger than just one-on-one. So I'm excited that this show today is with somebody who I must have met when I got this big idea that, oh, I'm going to host a poetry slam. <laughs> and that was in the spring of 2014. And this person who I just noticed everybody's like in awe, this, this presence, this power, this force. And that's what art needs to be. So I'm thrilled that we finally get to do a show. I've appreciated all the times in the midst that we've encountered each other and you've been part of things that, that I've helped pull together. And my guest is Dr. Mark Hennessy. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it. I'm glad, I'm glad that we finally uh, managed yeah, to get it off. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do want you to say a little bit about your background, including rock and roll and PhD. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a pretty short, and uh, you've heard the story before, I'm sure. I, I came to Lawrence in uh, the spring of 88, and uh, tried to go to school, failed. Uh, I did well in comparative religions and I failed sculpture. Uh, I, um, I, I joined a band and spent uh, a, a number of years just playing and, and getting to travel, which was awesome. Um, I dropped out of school. I, I didn't go back. I didn't finish my undergraduate till I was about 30. And once I went, uh, the reason why I went back was because after I'd stopped singing and playing. Uh, I was, you know, digging ditches for water features. Uh, and I was like, I, I want to, I should be, I want to be around smart people. And so I went back to school and um, I found out that people would give me a stipend to teach English classes. And I went, I uh, got my undergraduate and my master's and my PhD all within about 11 years, uh, 31 to 41. I'm not sure, somewhere around there. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. I just have to say, so although my path is different, I started school and I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Get that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good lesson too. <laughs> and then I, I was volunteering and then I had this amazing fortune of being hired as the director of the crisis center. And the directors all stayed about two years and left because they were fried. And so I thought, okay, I'll be motivated to go back to school, figure out what I want to do after this. And instead, the world changed, and I changed, and the center changed, and what we needed to do changed. And so I kept doing things, and somebody kept saying, you need to get some initials. (laughs) (laughs) And and like you, Uh I went back, I I, uh, like, okay, tell me what that transcript says I have to do to get a degree, because I need to get a graduate degree. I need to get a master's in social work. That's where I'm headed. And just somehow 
did that while having kids and my, you know, we had family and a house <laughs> yeah. and I had full time job. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, I get that school isn't and, always at the right time. Yeah. No, I, I can, I very clearly remember typing out academic papers with like a kid crawling on my shoulders. You know? Oof, not, I didn't mean to hit that. Perfect. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And your, your music is obviously still really important to you. Um, it is. It is. Uh, I'm very much um, engaged with the idea of what is a song, what is a lyric, what should a singer do. And I'm really, really, really super fortunate to be able to practice that with some musicians whom I admire and who are uh, just amazingly capable, um, if not ambitious in, in what they do. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to still have that be a part of my life. I think um, Lawrence is partially the thanks for that because of the wealth of um, of good musicians that we have here. Right. Yeah. As long as you don't want to earn money after your music, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not. Yeah. Right after I earn money on my poetry. Yeah, I'm not waiting for that train to come in anymore. <laughs> you know, and and I know you you said that you would pay you to teach while you were doing your grad program, and I was interested and and I would like you to say a little bit about the teaching you're doing now. Well, the teaching I'm doing now is crazy, uh, and it's only been for this uh, past last semester, the fall semester. Uh, but I'm teaching currently at the high school I attended, uh, Sumner Academy of the Arts and Sciences in Kansas City, Kansas, and. Uh, and man, it's been, <clears throat> you know, one of the things, I guess the, the main thing about me and the main thing that I feel like uh, I'm responding to kind of is a sense of being a father. You talked about being a parent. Uh-huh. It informs everything from your daily schedule to yes. your, your thoughts and how you go through things. Um, and uh, to go from teaching college uh, at KU to teaching um, uh, like three times as many kids uh, every day in a high school situation. Um, it has required me to grow in ways I wasn't sure that I could, you know, in terms of both organization and, um, and, uh, intention. And, uh, the, the funny thing about the work is that it's really rewarding. If you, you, you do, you, you know, the successes are small, but significant. And, um, as somebody who attended the school, uh, and somebody who's kind of familiar slash in love with the area, um, I, it's, it's been a crazy year, but I'm very much enjoying what I'm doing right now. And for me, I think of it as kids, even high school students are very different than what happens after college. I mean, excuse me, after high school, when you aren't living with your parents, which most high school kids are living with some adults somewhere, you know, that that there's a lot of maturing and changing that grows. And so so it takes a while me a while when I did some stuff with high school students to realize how different they were. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they yeah. think they got it all. Together. Yeah, that's so our learning. Like, oh, that's our learning. That's our learning curve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. Get but it. the other piece is that for me, and I don't know anything about Sumner, but kids need to have people in their life that they identify <laughs> with, that they learn from, that they're challenged and nurtured in a different way than some of the teachers that all of us had, or maybe all of the teachers that some of us had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Know? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge gift to those kids. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's amazing and wonderful that you're doing that. And then I don't know how well you know Cody Keener. I, I know and admire and am glad yeah. to call him a friend. Yeah. And he is teaching in Topeka. Yeah. He's teaching high school kids in Topeka. Yeah. And Cody, for our listeners, Cody is another person who's a, he's a, he is a spoken word poet, um, graduated from Baker University. And while he was doing that, 
He was also being the, the host of the LFK Slam. A great host, um, and yeah. A lovely person, wonderful, talented. And like, how cool. We need cool people who want to be there with the kids and who are interesting, you know? Yeah, I was just remembering his spam haiku challenge. Like, you had to write a haiku, but it had to be about potted <laughs> meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, he, he did good things. I mean, and he's continues to do good yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love, I love when kids are, are introduced to people. And I don't know, how, is poetry part of what you do with those students in terms of what you're teaching? It, it is, it is. You know, um, there there hadn't been a, a slam team to, to go into slam specifically. There hadn't been a slam team at Sumner before the semester. Now there's, uh, I'm part of the, a group of teachers uh, helping to organize one. Awesome. That's one thing. Uh, second thing is that um, for my kids, uh, a lot of them, um, it, 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 I don't know how to say this except for to say it. there's uh, a love of rap and there's an association with rap as rhyming couplets as sort of an introductory to poetry. Uh -huh. uh, and um, a, a lot of my my students are into spoken word or into rap or into into expressive writing. And the, that hasn't that hasn't changed. And if, if anything, I, I've been in, pretty impressed by the quality and the level of um, of writing and sort of formal knowledge um, that my students just seem to express in their off work. You know, mm -hmm. it's not for a class. It's uh -huh. just what they're writing, you know. Uh -huh. And, and um, I had I had one student write a, a poem in reaction to Trump's election that I'm I'm trying to help get published because uh -huh. it's just awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And what a great thing for that student to know somebody really values what they wrote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always weird to to play your song and to get somebody you hear somebody clap in the back, yeah, and feels affirming. It's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about publishing, I just I don't know how long is it long poem, short poem. The reason I'm asking is one place that is so awesome is Richard Hansen's Poems for All, and you just submit stuff to him, and he does these wonderful little little things like these that I have, because I have some favorite ones sitting here. Oh, so oh, so nice. he has, he creates these and distributes them free of charge. He does the design and some of them have fold out pages so they're longer than others. Right. Some are just one-sided like haiku kinds of things. Right. And so, you know, you could have some of your students <laughs> have, That's awesome. maybe that one, yeah. submit something. You just go online to Poems for All, it tells you how to submit stuff to Richard. Uh, I'm going to make. I'm reaching for your pen because I can't find the eight that I brought with me. Oh, they're hiding under the paper. Um, Richard yeah. Hansen, poems for all. Poems for all is how you find it online. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say I've got. I'll probably have. We'll see if I have enough for you to take their class. Uh, one of the things that, as one of the classes that I'm teaching is speech, uh, and one of the things that I would love to see is um, to be able to uh, connect. Um, my community and my job through what my students are writing. Uh -huh. I think that's exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's very cool. And there's a great writing community in Kansas City. There really is. There really is. Yeah. I'm a yeah. huge fan of those people that, that are connected kind of loosely, that that network that for me starts with Uptown and Prospero's together and Writer's Place and all this. Yeah. And you know, well I'm sure you know we, we need to make sure everything in April, there will be another huge Kansas City poetry throwdown, yeah. and that's bringing in people from all over the country. As it should, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. 
So you're working with these kids. And for me, I mean, you know that, that we do this Word Save Lives event, and that's what I believe. And that's part of it to me is giving people that encouragement to express themselves in ways that aren't going to get them locked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we had to do something um, for uh, for suicide, for suicide awareness, suicide prevention. I've got the, the, the vein on now just because it was handed to me. But uh, and one of the, the things that I took away from the conversation in which we're sort of given these basic instructions is to normalize conversation about it, yeah. you know, so yeah. that you can you just can talk because sometimes just being able to talk about the thing yeah. um, to articulate what it is uh, it, in some ways um, relieves some of the tension or, uh, you know, as you start to access resources, perhaps you weren't aware of. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a clear function. I think of a lot of um, uh, a lot of what, we see uh, the, our kids, right, is them dealing with the, the, the forces on their lives that, yeah. are, you know, that have shaped them, whatever. And sometimes it, their, their responses are heroic and sometimes they're they're um, pathetic or cowardly, just like mine. Yeah. Uh, and as is fitting and normal. Um, but but having being having a channel to to have that conversation is is sometimes the difference between life and death. Yeah. So. How did you start? You're, we're working with kids now. You have kids, but how how did you start writing, performing music? However, that was how did that how did that you realize this is something I got to do? Uh, you know, it's uh, I remember the one of the first uh, quatrains that I wrote for my um, grade school newspaper, which was a mimeographed blue sheet. Uh, straight off uh, the presses at um, St. John the Baptist in Strawberry Hill. Uh, I wish I was a dragon. Despite his funny stances, I'd do away with homework and go to dragon dances. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just wrote poems since I was a kid. I wow. just, I just wrote them. Um, I read poetry. Uh, I, I loved epic poetry. I got into the Song of Roland and the Iliad, and um, uh, I just, I got into it. I got into it early, and never quite crawled all the way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> despite some attempts to do so so it's just natural for you somehow it's it's interesting to me how it works for people you know i think that i i think my high school graduation kind of sums it up where our english teacher who you know that's probably where i got a lot of fear and hatred of Structure. A lot of people do get it from the yeah, English teacher, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. When I when I graduated from high school, my mom's like, "Are you really going to graduate? Are you sure?" It's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, he was the one who handed me my diploma or fake diploma, whatever they gave you. With right. the words, "Go forth, my child, and sin no more." It's like. <laughs> Ouch. Thanks. Right. Is there someone else here I can talk to? <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. you won't traumatize your students. <laughs> no, no, I'm a student advocate. I, 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 I positioned myself that way because I had good teachers. Uh -huh. um, but I'm a student advocate, not uh -huh. an evaluator. <laughs> Certainly not a priest. I tried that. I didn't like it. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, there's so many things. Uh, you know, I, I do, you brought poetry to share, which is, that is, is wonderful. And I don't know whether you have some dates coming up. I know there, there are a bunch of things you did 
in earlier in December with both poetry and music. Yeah. You got some schedules coming up? <clears throat> yeah. Um, my band continues to play. We're um, we're close to releasing the next uh, the next EP that we're doing. Um, I haven't said the name of the band. Uh, it's Godzillionaire. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, just a pro towny rock and roll band. It was dinosaur rock, basically. But, uh, it's uh, also it's a, for me it's an evolution. It's the best music that I've been a part of, so I'm I'm proud. Yeah. And, and it also it also performs a lot of the uh, spiritual functions of uh, of the church for me in terms of of being in a space with with guys uh, on the shared endeavor to make this song good. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, Jason Reberg, a madman, Kansas City yeah. poetic madman, who I think told me he's got 37 books coming out this year uh, through three oh, different yes. series. Yes, Buzz Barton, Pop, Call Valley, and Midtown. Cool. Uh, yeah, he's got a Lawrence-centric one, and he's got a, a Casey uh, Moe-specific uh, one. Um, I think I'm supposed to have... <laughs> Something for him in January. Didn't we said a couple days, Mark? Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and, and the and the manuscript. I told myself I didn't want to write for it. Uh, I did the airport motel for my um, for my doctoral thesis at KU. It was uh, based on the airport motel outside of town. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, I think I'm going to release a remix of that. Uh, the airport. Motel Redux, a suite for bad partners. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to add some new stuff in it. Uh, and, um, and I think it might be out in January. Uh, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be reading right. in support of that as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. cool. And for those who don't know, Jason is like the force behind all this wonderfulness that's happening through Prospero's and the pop poetry series where a new poet gets published and a release every month something that nobody thought could happen and they've been doing that and and they're doing well with it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. him and Jeanette Powers together yeah, yeah. although Jeanette's yeah. slipping away to her own thing yeah. yeah yeah so Jason is an amazing poet and promoter of poetry and publisher and more so he is he is one of the people behind that Kansas City throwdown that's going to come up yeah in late April yeah. exciting stuff yeah 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 his last book is beautiful too he's great he's an amazing guy and fun. <laughs> a good travel companion. Fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He always looks like he's getting ready to tell you a story that his uncle told you. <laughs> which is an attractive quality. He's a good guy. He's yeah. amazing. So there's a lot of great stuff going on. And I know, you know, I need to give a shout out to Jameson Bales because Jameson is working with Jason on the throwdown. And Jameson is writing for Poetry Bay, an online journal, and did a recent article on you know, basically, I, I think it might be t- entitled, you know, the Midwest is not a flyover place. Right, Talk right. About the poetry scene right. in the city, Horns Topeka, and more. we got great stuff going on in Salina and other areas around here, just with wonderful poets and collect connections. And honestly, one of the things that's cool to me is some of those kind of grew a little bit with that first Busker Fest, you know? I do, that's yeah, yeah. really, really cool to see. It was cool. People connect yeah. and the things that are happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawrence is a little quieter right now than it was for a while, but I think people needed to retreat a bit. Yeah. And that's okay, too. That's okay, too. Yeah. 
So you'll be doing poetry, Godzillionaire will be performing, you'll be having a blast, you'll be teaching, you'll be parenting, you'll be... <laughs> right? Now, now I feel like I need some more coffee. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. What, are there certain things like about this time in terms of November 9th forward that are inspiring you in your music, writing, otherwise? Well, yeah, and, and and you really opened a can of worms with that one uh, <laughs> because I, it's one of the things that I was thinking about and it's one of the things that I, I, I can't stop thinking about is our president-elect says things that are just completely unconnected from reality. They just have no connection to anything, not to truth, not to his behavior, not to his intentions. They're just sort of, um, their words but they're bereft of all meaning. Uh -huh. um, and uh, as, as somebody who's overeducated in, in terms of the use of English language uh, and uh, re as regards its potential, um, like uh, the warrior Mubai in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I came to a, a, a cold, dark place in my meditation. Uh, I just realized that all words could be used for whatever means that they wanted, uh, but depending on what the speaker said, the speaker can say this, this is truth, or say a word terrorist or liberal, and then there's all this, you know, condemnation attached to it. You have a, a phrase like Black Lives Matter, and then there's going to be an argument over it, yeah. you know? There's going to be a response like All Lives Matter, please. Uh, our language is, is rapidly divorcing from any sort of actual significance, I think, just in terms of partially overuse, which, you know, draws you back to, to the lyric and poetry a little bit because there's still compelling truths to be shared via language. You can have an experience and, and communicate it to somebody in a way that is significant. But there's so much white noise around our language now that it becomes, I feel, increasingly difficult. Uh, my response to, uh, since um, uh, Orange Tuesday, uh, <laughs> Uh, Eleven nine <clears throat> uh, is similar to my response beforehand. Is is to a shoe obfuscation. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, it, try try to say what I mean in the fewest amount of words possible. Mm -hmm. uh, to say what is true, and, and sometimes to say what is true in order to say something beautiful. Uh, not all the time. Um, and still make it uh, something worth singing. That to me is the burden of poetry. It's mm -hmm. it's an onerous burden, um, but uh, it it's the if if inarticulate as he is, which is kind of a pattern. We could phrase um, the president-elect's speech as a type of speech. Um, my belief is that no matter what genre it was practiced in, the poetry would be. Uh, uh, kind of a, a polemic opposite of that because because <laughs> he talks so good with all the good words uh to make nothing like understood yeah because he's so smart <laughs> he works with all the smart people um a double plus good uh that when you have a flash it, it robs you of the chance to have insight it's meant to just muddy the waters i really think um or, or to incite uh, and not that I'm a, a, against language that provokes or incites, but I really feel like um, uh, the considerate language can provide insight mm -hmm. versus polyspeak, 
what whatever it is that that Trump calls what he does when he opens his mouth um, is is damaging, damaging to our language. Mm-hmm. And uh, poetry is a way to combat that politically, if nothing else. And I and I really believe in that. I was talking to you a bit before we were recording about this this thing, and I want to keep talking about it because there will be an opportunity in various places, including Lawrence, to, to for people to get together and share stories that will become part of what's a national address um, through the what's called the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. There will be a poetic state of the union, a people's message, as opposed to whatever comes out of the government, you know, whether it's local government, state government, the feds. And the idea is to allow people to express with no conversation, but really being heard in these circles, some experiences about belonging and not belonging. Uh, and there's a little more to it. And, and those, those stories get shared uh, so they're publicly available online through through um, the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture website that creates a portal for each year's stories, but also they have a set of poets who will pull together pieces from those and create this one national address that, that gets released in March. That's cool. And we want people to participate. You know, we want people to, to, to believe that they have a voice that can be heard and that is valued. And so, you know, after the show, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that because it's something you could do with your kids at school. It's something that sounds like it's something I should do with my kids. At yeah, school. yeah, yeah, it's a very cool thing. And so, I I encourage people to look at, you know, how to use your art, because I, I'm the one who says things like words save lives, art saves lives. That people, that that I, I get back to, it's weird. This research based training that I went to. I can't remember how many years ago it was sponsored by one of the Kansas foundations and the theme was storytelling to get your message, you know, to be effective in it. And, and their reason for providing this training was, you know, well, if you get these nonprofits to know how to say their thing, then they can get money from people, not just us. Right, right, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And one of the things I really remember is that our brains process data differently than they process stories. And so that when you can can open somebody, you literally can open somebody's brain up to your message by hitting them with that story, whether it's through a painting or through music or through poetry, through sculpture, whatever kinds of things. It's not just a literal story that you know is in words that's read. You can get people to think about things differently than they had before. Right. Yeah. And you can't. Which is the value? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm all about. You know, I've said for a long time. I hate awareness campaigns. I hate awareness campaigns. Don't tell me, be aware this happens, that happens. Like, what am I supposed to do? Tell me what to do right. to make a difference. Yeah. Don't tell me this is this huge problem. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I think art gives us that opportunity, and it's always that there can be a call to action, you know, that can get people thinking about things differently. And certainly one of the things we need to do is bring people together, yeah. you know, and that's something that you see in, in celebrations of culture and art is that you get different people together, you know, and they're learning from each other. and talking to people they didn't know and and suddenly it really is that message that of stronger together it's very true yeah. that yeah and, and um you know juliana spar one of my yeah. uh, favorite uh current poets she has this thing where um she says that what we need in poetics now is a poetics that talks about how difficult it is to talk to one another 
um, uh, from her. She's got a, a book out uh, that I highly recommend called uh, Fuck You, Aloha, I Love You. And one of the, the lines in it is, the problem is how we all together now. And she proceeds from that line into uh, sort of a picture of people trying to speak in a room where you have somebody's knee on your shoulder and your uh, your elbow is wrapped around somebody else's leg and all these people are tangled together and trying to talk to, yeah. to, to each other. Yeah. And as far as um, sort of uh, – and poetry, I believe, is, you know, obviously capable of whimsy. I, I still read Shel Silverstein to the kids. Um, but uh, if, if there's – you say use your art. If there's a utensile property to poetry, I see it in, in poetics like Juliana Spars. She's kind of um, also very environmentally motivated, although her responses are Whitman-esque and their embrace of sort of popular jargon and and uh, and it speaks the language of its time. It, it still is motivated by. <laughs> forgive me for using the phrase of social consciousness, you know, and, and sort of, I feel like, uh, if not a commitment to make a positive impact, a love for the people that song is singing to enough to like, want to say, wouldn't it be better if we stop slapping each other for a second? Yeah. Yeah. And I think on that lovely note, because it would be better, <laughs> Let's take a little break here, and then we will be right back with more Talk With Me with Mark Hennessy. And I also want to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces this show. Um, it's a long and continuous journey, and Daniel, thank you very much for making this available to our audience. And we'll be right back. And we're back. More Talk With Me with Marcia Epstein and Mark Hennessy. And we're kind of... This just this recommending people to expose yourself to art and expose your art to other people because good things happen when people share those messages and and come together, get all twisted and tangled together and communicate. It's true. <laughs> and I think I've, I've experienced it, and I've heard so many poets say that part of what fuels them is being able to perform and having people come up and say how much what was just said was about them that they haven't been able to talk about, you know, and this like shame starts lifting because <laughs> this person can say that. And I don't talk about that and I need to. You know? yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's so much benefit in, you know, sometimes just plain old entertainment, sometimes in learning things because you think about things differently and sometimes getting validated. One of the things I love is, is that things don't mean the same things, you know, you you alluded to that and and they and it's but it's not right or wrong you know it's it's that you know when I was you know I think about high school is where I got warped in terms of thinking poetry was this rigid structure only one answer kind of a thing you know it's it was a relief to realize that it's okay that my weird brain makes different meanings of things than somebody else does I might find some some combination of words so funny and and it's just not really what was in the the mind of the person who was writing but it's okay todd cirillo who's this delightful wonderful poet um in new orleans we recently recorded together and he was he, he has his poems tend to be pretty short and a lot of them are about love and heartbreak but not not this <laughs> not the teen angsty stuff it's and and so he's 
he there was this line in this poem where where he was being challenged in some way and he said so i raised a finger and i'm totally thinking he's flipping off this person and instead he's writing this i love you message in the you know in the steam on the mirror right, laughing, right, you know yeah. and i'm cracking up and he's and it's like perfect he's think about that right <laughs> yeah when you're reading it when you're speaking it that's what it is how about some words from you mr hennessy dr hennessy um sure i <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, okay. Let you on the spot here. No, it's it's fine. I brought some stuff to read. I'm I'm, I'm momentarily nonplussed. I can't find the thing that I was going to start with. But uh, one of the things that um, you know, in you're talking about since November 9th, um, uh, the and this radio show and what you do and and uh, the community of which we are a part. Chomsky says that any response is going to have to start local. Uh, in celebration, in celebration of that, uh, I did a uh, a series of um, poems, um, sonnet form, that were supposed to go through the dates of February leading up to Valentine's Day, about different paraphilias. This is too much of an intro. Uh, <laughs> but do you, do you know do you know Dennis who wanders around town? Yes, of okay. So the paraphilia of being in love with a statue or, or a mannequin uh -huh. is called uh, a galmatophilia. And so I put gal in brackets, and this is February 1st. Oh, stroll around wavy east sidewalks of Larrytown. You were a good playground, but too short-lived. The good times. In every dream home on a route, a heart moves an empty couch out to the yard to make room for the new ache that's coming. Shitty sums it up, right? To love someone who cannot love us back. That toe-sucking Pygmalion had one thing right, though. We're sciencing his dream gal through chisel strike. We find the beauty we look for. And while our love's not about it, everything else is, dollface. The radio song, the alley shadow we cast without Cheryl. The empty space inside us. The smile we try to keep our try to walk a way back to a place where she is waiting for us. Hasn't left or been stolen. Look there past the gates. She hasn't moved an inch. Which is especially meaningful to those of us who know about Dennis and Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, that it's about relationships in general. It's not just yeah. Dennis and Cheryl. <clears throat> no, he's part of our orbit, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah. And it's so interesting. It's, uh, I'm sure all communities have those people that we all notice, don't necessarily know, but, but are very visible, kind of local celebrities, but in unusual ways. Right. And that enriches. <laughs> we chose to live between the university and downtown. Our sons went to Central, to what was junior high then, Liberty Memorial Central Middle School now. Right. You know, and, and we knew that they would see people that, I didn't see in the places where I grew up, okay, you know, right. in Southern California and Northern Texas and Johnson County for high school. I didn't see people who behaved in real different ways or looked very differently right. from each other, you know, and, and here in downtown Lawrence, you see people and it's, and it's, I think that's healthy and natural and so good. <laughs> it is. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, in some ways, um, uh, the, the, 
periphery, the edge, the people who dwell on the edge are, are heroic in that you, you put them in the you put them in this uh, world, and their response is of entirely of their own invention. You know, their lives are one of their own inventions, and I, it's got to be difficult. I mean, um, in some ways, it's got to be ex- as uh, exhausting as uh, yeah. as parenthood or um, uh, working night shift or the other things that yeah. we do as adults, yeah. but but admirable nonetheless. Yeah, and it you know when you think when I think about that, I think about for some people those unusual behaviors are related to mental health differences. And sure. There's a vulnerability sometimes for, unfortunately, people perceived as different to being, you know, verbally abused, physically violated in ways, you know, there, there's a risk and there's a risk of people not living as long because of that. So there's, there's also that kind of sadness to me and something that, you know, I know that for me, tried to talk about with with my sons as they were growing up and walking the neighborhood walking to downtown those kinds of things you know when when because of my work some of the people that are more unusual in their behaviors are people who knew me right. uh, you know and so you know i walk <laughs> yeah. out of someplace downtown with my family and somebody would grab me you know and it's like and it's okay right. you know and they're like mom how do you know that person and i would just say i just yeah, right. And it's just right. all okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> True poetry. <laughs> this is before poetry. <laughs> uh, I gotcha. But it's it's important to be respectful because really there's no difference when you when I think about it, people who realize or maybe don't realize that they're uncomfortable with somebody who appears to be behaving differently than somebody who feels uncomfortable because a person of a different color is walking by them or whatever, it's like, we don't need to be afraid of different. And I do think that, again, poetry and other art sometimes open us up to that reminder in different ways, you know? I completely agree. You know, uh, to read a poem by uh, another poet is to understand that poet's perspective if they they do their job. So you get... So you're a man, but you get insight into what it's like to be a woman, uh-huh. or you're uh, you're a white person, you get what, an insight into what it's like to be a black person, or, uh-huh. or uh, any sort of varying degrees in, in terms of, of crossing those uh-huh. those uh, cultural racial identifiers. Um, you just get some, you just get the voice of another person in your head, and so it gets confused with your own. And and uh, if if it doesn't lead to tolerance, it frequently leads to understanding, and understanding can't help but lead to some tolerance. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 When we really understand it's a whole different world. It is. We're not afraid. You know, we realize this person who's, you know, talking loudly also has good reasons for feeling angry. Yeah. Things in life, you know, what would I think if I, instead of being able to go to school and go travel and do the things that I did as a young adult and since, what if I wasn't able to do those because my mental health was so compromised that I couldn't earn money and do the things that I needed to and I couldn't have effective relationships? Well, yeah, I'd have the right to be angry. Of course I would. Sure. So anyway, lots of lots of important things for us to think about related to culture, related to art, related to together, related to learning. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I think about that, with, with your going back to your teaching a little bit. So how does that play out in some ways? What are some of the things that, that your kids, that, that generation of 
high school students is is really working on to open their minds and really create people who who understand that we are all connected and we we you know how somebody else is is doing is relevant to me whether I really know them or not. The, the high school that I teach in is um, it's diversely populated to the extent where that initial understanding is already in place just from the neighborhoods uh, that that the kids come from. Um, uh, the idea that we are more connected than differentiated um, to them is probably as well to me sometimes feels more like a class differentiation than one based on terms of race or gender or, or religious belief. Um, and, class as in economics? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Uh, and, um, and it's pretty, it's pretty simple because, uh, to say education is, is to suggest that I have some information that I'm imparting to them. That's not the case. Uh, to me, the education and the information and the insight that, that comes is from them thinking about their own questions, right. them thinking about their own questions in relation to the situation that they're yeah. in. And when you have uh, when you have a smart kid and you have time to to sort of thoughtfully initiate those considerations, I, I think it's hard to fail. I think it's hard to fail in that situation. Sometimes you're up against, you know, anger or hunger or sleepiness or whatever. Um, uh, but I think real connections are. Um, instructive because they're real because they're viable we can sense the differences that they make in our perceptions and while we may be resistant to some of them um i i always am and resistant to sort of uh, new information because i mistrust it because it goes against what i thought but then you have to you have to reconsider it uh and that's that's the work that's the the work of, of being not just a student or not just a teacher but uh a, a participant um, yeah. <laughs> a, I don't know, this is, anyway, uh, what probably that definitely what kind of got me thinking about poetry back in 2014 was somehow finding some pieces by Shane Coyson, who's a spoken word poet in Canada. A lot of the themes that he writes about just so resonate with my social work, with, you know, helping people through really hard times. And, some of the things that I've experienced, and he's got a poem about about being being a person, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but he's got this part of it that basically says, "If you're more offended by fart jokes than racism and sexism, <laughs> then basically you're really not a person." <laughs> uh, a, a, a summary, if not entirely an accurate critique. Because we have to be open and listening and caring and discerning, you know, and I think that's that circles me back to November 9th and before that, you know, we've, we've got to have ways of looking at new information and deciding what is real and meaningful and what is just crap that somebody's feeling. That's the old, old problem. I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, you know, uh, the... Um, the Chinese poet Lao Tzu, uh, somebody asked him, if you were the head of the government, what would you do? And he said, the first thing I'd, I'd do is correct language, because if what is said isn't what's meant, how can any meaningful change be enacted? It yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, which is why it seems to be strange that um, our leaders, our elected political leaders, seem to talk in these nebula, these ambiguous word clouds uh, that offered, uh, like you say, no specific suggestions for um, uh, positive action as much as sort of a meditation on what the problem is and where the problem is coming from and who's responsible for the problem. Uh, you know, ad nauseum. And somebody's version of that. You know, that that's the thing that's, that to me, one of the things, one of the many things that's really pissing me off is this is related to how certain decisions get made. And I look, look at it on a very local basis. When we moved into this house between the university and the downtown Lawrence, Kansas, we knew that this neighborhood was in a lot of ways in jeopardy in terms of there were people who would be happy to level all of the homes and build massive apartment complexes because they create more income. Whereas our planning director says, it's a higher and best use of that land rather than those individual historic homes. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, so, so then start reading a little bit more and hearing more and learning more about the, the reason, not the reasons, but the rationales, I'll call them, that things are done a certain way. And, and to realize that so much is, is rooted in discrimination against people of color, people of lower income. And, there are these justifications that get labeled in different words than those, but that's the true purpose. And right now, we're seeing that in our communities across the country because of the ghost ship fire in Oakland. That when you follow news related to that, what you see is that art spaces in different parts of the country are being shut down so those areas can be repurposed for higher income for property owners and destroying this culture of art and these safe places. And that sometimes people who are using places that aren't as physically attractive, as safe as uh, you know, with all the amenities is because that's the only place they're allowed to be together. And that's the history of this country and I assume other countries as well. But, but it's like, okay, then I need to think about this differently, you know? We need to learn these things and really work at the root causes and remember that for me, it looks like the starting point is if we value every single person, every single person, that person's culture, that person's identity, not challenging it. If we value everybody and want this to be a safe place for everybody, we've got to do so many things differently. And at least we can start one-on-one. We could start one-on-one -on -one by acknowledging humanity. We don't necessarily do that. Well, we could start one-on-one -on -one by admitting that that's not the case. We don't want that because if we did want that, then um, there wouldn't be a, a debate, a national debate about transgender people being allowed to use the bathroom of their choice. Yes. Uh, to tie that into to, to somehow sexual predatory practice is ridiculous. Uh, our, the the, um, the misogyny and racism is systemic and it's built into the language uh, to such that we don't even realize that you know one of my students that says um okay you should stop saying uh, you should stop addressing the classes you guys you know i'm like that's fair <laughs> you know it's fair yeah uh it, it's it, it, it's built into our language to the point where um the language is used aggressively and and an act of or in um, sort of a proposed effort to protect individual rights. 
versus a denial of civil liberties. Um, uh, because uh, people people understand, oh, I want to help you keep your property safe versus, oh, let's shut down these elements of the population that are yeah. struggling with yeah. this or this or this yeah. or this. Yeah. So it becomes, you know, property rights versus uh, uh, civil rights. And um, uh, that's about money. Yeah. And so the language becomes about money and that makes it aggressive and legal and ugly in a lot yeah. of ways. So back to your music and your art. So, so again, where are you headed? I mean, you have a new book coming up, but, but in terms of messaging and things that are kind of percolating in your brain, what kinds of things do you expect to be coming from you? Well, Jason and I have this conversation, and, and it, was, it's, it runs parallel to the conversation that I've had with my, uh, my good friend and the, the guy uh, I play with together, Ben White. Uh, and this, that there's an admitted starting point of denying irony uh jason reberg and i have started working on sort of uh <laughs> a, a manifesto and it's about new romanticism and the idea uh behind new romanticism isn't perhaps the unabashed sentimentality that you might normally associate it with but this idea that um sort of the conceptual and objective academic popular poetry of the time is over out of necessity and that um, that time is too short and words are too many to say, uh, to sing a song that doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, and I feel that in both what I write and in what I, what I, what I do, what I do musically. Um, So in some sense, being even more pressured to have those words, that music really make a difference because it's not just about, it has to also be about having fun at times, you know, I guess I don't know what, so let me pose it the other way. What makes that different from how you've been writing and performing in the past? Well, writing for an academic audience, as I did with, um, the, the initial uh, manuscript for the airport motel was one of those things where um, I had one poem that was called the, the black hole room. And it was a period in the middle of the page. Uh, and I did that because a part of my research was into concrete poetics and to um, language poetics. And, and uh, partly I presented it as a way of saying, look at what academic poetry has brought us to. It's, you can, you don't, it doesn't have to be anything. It can be a shopping list and you can say, this is my poetics mm -hmm. and, and contemporary academic poetics would support it. Uh, so, uh, I found myself perhaps because I was writing for an academic audience, um, engaging in academic commentary in my poetics, uh, in terms of what I sing or, or what I'm trying to do now, it goes back to the love song. Um, and that's, that's about as, as clear as I can make the, the difference for myself, uh -huh. which is, which is about, I mean, the love song is, if you, can you say a love song is about having fun? Cause, um, the good ones aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
I hear there's a whole country and western genre about killing your partner or ex or whatever you call that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I know lots and lots of songs where, uh, yeah, you, you kill your partner. I mean, there's those go, those go way back. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Uh, Nick Cave. It seemed like every song that you wrote for a while. And killing his wife. <laughs> Maybe that was therapeutic. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> Because that's what I what I've gotten over the you know the conversations with people who create artists that you know there's there's a part of it that's about that personal process of you know kind of sorting out some things and getting them out and there's some relief that okay I kind of understand what this has been about for me personally but then there's this whole other piece about what happens when I share it publicly and you know not only am I gifting this to my audience but I'm also open to their way of thinking about what it is, which may be very different, you know, again, than, than what I anticipated. I remember a poem that Garrett Tufte wrote for the first Word Save Lives, and he shared it with me um, in writing before that event. And my way of reading it was, was this compassion. It was it's a story about um, this person and a friend who was really struggling. And I saw it as compassion and urging this person, you know, and, and when he performed the poem, it was anger. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so interesting that those same words, but with different emphases have such a different meaning. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It can, I mean, the, the word can mean itself and the opposite of itself at the same time. <laughs> And I, and I do find delight in that, as people can tell by hearing me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's delightful. And I think that we have to we have to be able to laugh, too. You know, We have to be able to laugh about even really terrible stuff sometimes, because otherwise we're just going to collapse from the, from the intensity of it all. Agreed. You know. yeah. How about another poem? I don't want to run out of this show time without having people hear more of your actual poetry in addition to our... <laughs> inspiring conversation <laughs> uh thank you i will uh this is uh, this is uh, i'm not sure how to classify this again I'll, I'll stop trying to introduce things and just share them with you number eight psychic clone taken from voluntary testimony under supervision of the investigatory council 5696 when i awoke it was like i had come out of a fever like i had been in bed while it was nice outside and then wanted the more to be out in the sun. Funny now, right? I made really strong coffee and the coffee was good. I poured it over ice. I shook the milk in its container and I poured that over the coffee. Chocolate syrup over that. Really good. The radio was playing really good music. Some singer sang Coltrane's prayer over the top of a different Love Supreme. Like the Borges story about the guy who rewrote Don Quixote word for word, but the story's different because the writer's different. Borges is really good. Like my crazy sailing friend Crowhurst, I put all the fruit on the table into the blender and bent over it while the air came from the bottom of the blender smelling like electricity. And that was really good and better with the carrots in. I walked through the park marveling at how beautiful the dogs and trees and women were. The tracks going from tree to tree in the snow had to be squirrel and they leave wonderful tracks, like exclamation points everywhere, which there are if you look, really look. An example, in the parking lot of the Dollar Movie Theater, I saw two young men in heavy metal shirts. 
They looked dull and fat and stupid. Then in the open cab of a truck, one of them leaned over the other and fastened his seatbelt, the way I tuck a lover into bed. He made sure his friend, who was just slow, not dull, was safe. And then I started believing. That's beautiful. <laughs> that really is. That's really touching. Yeah. Uh, thanks. So we're in that last couple minutes of the show. What do you want to say to people as sort of a call to action related to things we've been talking about? Or just things that are in your mind. What What are some things? <laughs> some things. You, uh that's that's crazy for me because um i'm overwhelmed by the uh, just a barrage of 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 thoughts for me it's the the thing that i need to do and and i try to practice more frequently is is being quiet um and that's gotten easier <laughs> <laughs> i'm crazy about hearing myself speak less and less uh, so when i do it i, I try to have it count um I, a call to action you know i, I think um Locally, I say, you know, uh, locally, anywhere, um, you've heard it before, kindness is my religion. I, I think that if we were more gentle with one another, I think if we were, if we were capable of being more gentle with each other, if I'm more capable of being gentle with the people in my life, then my life um, is gentled by that. And the disconnect between seeing that and practicing it is what I see as the difficulty. Um, it, so you have work that you do that you feel is responsible work or engaged work or, or work that makes a difference. And uh, you sing a little song under your breath while you do it. You said something earlier about gifting people with what I write. I always felt like kind of a, uh, what I write was like a dentist bill for somebody to read. You know, it's like you put something down and then uh, I just leave it behind me. Um, like, you know, uh, uh, detritus is just something that I shed and it's just a thought. And, and the thought is still the one that I'm working on because I've dismissed the old ones as being from that time. Uh, that is not a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you started with, with you know, being more gentle and, and you know, you, there's that context issue about your writing. I mean, you're saying you shed it, but I guess I also imagine that at times you reread it and it has a different meaning today than it did, you know, a year ago or even six months ago. And I think that's very valuable too, both to you and to people who are reading your work elsewhere. You know, I think that's really important. I think that the being kind and gentle also is a reminder to each of us about ourselves because our our way in the world is informed by how we are also personally. You know, you can, I think people can easily relate to if you're in physical discomfort about something, you don't have the attention to your impact on other people in the same way that you might at other times things, everything might bother you more and you might snap more easily. And that's the same true with emotionally when we're either just plain worn down or when we're feeling really distressed in different ways, whatever words we use for that. You know, so being gentle with ourselves and out in the world, to me, the, those are wonderful calls to action. And I will also say, read poetry, go to music events, go to poetry readings and buy shit <laughs> from local artists. Amen. Yes.
Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a good one. Uh, I'm sorry that it took us so long to do it, and I hope we do it again sometime. Thank we you, Marshall. Will. Thank you, and so long.